the first opportunity gets on that big dog tooth turner, you swim down and you're down there and you're behind him and you're filming and you're not moving and something happens and it fish spooks. I promise you, it's your fault as the cameraman. It's always your fault. And fortunately, you can't take it personally. Uh, the next time that fish comes along and uh, he shoots the fish and you get the footage, you're going to be the hero afterwards and you would have forgotten about that. So... <laughs> Massive, massive episode today. Barrett Harvey from African Spearfishing Diaries. This guy is off the chain. I absolutely love this interview. Really looking forward to digging into this. Um, today's Veterans Vault is a focus around making a living as a professional spearfishing cinematographer. Uh, Barrett gets quite into the weeds with this and it's absolutely fantastic. If you are serious about pursuing like a guiding career or you know taking your, your videography uh, to the next level Barrett um, has been doing it and uh, he lays out a bit of a good roadmap today uh, by by no means does it sound like an easy um, way to make a living but jeepers um, what a what a life he's he's lived and uh, he's only 44 so it's not even over yet but um it's a legendary South African Spiro probably most well known for African spearfishing diaries back in the day they were DVDs now he's got a YouTube channel it's going off uh, he's releasing a sort of like a 10 minute long video every week it's some of the best footage I've seen uh, he's got like a 90 second sort of show reel that he's putting on the back of these episodes and jeepers uh, oh the music the timing you know the the color grading, just the effort gone into that alone. It's a uh, it just it's froth worthy. That's all I can say. African spearfishing diaries on YouTube. But um, before we get into that, I wanted I wanted to tell you about some mad gear. Go to newspiro.com forward slash mad gear. I've got three brand new designed shirts. These things are going to move. Um, put a bit of thought into the designs, and I've got a really talented designer working on them. I absolutely love them. There's a Spiro dad. There's girls with gills. I'm going to have women's shirts up there as well. Um, and the girls have said that they like this, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. And there's a job for a shirt. Um, definitely um, some gear that only Spiros will get. So newspiro.com forward slash mad gear. Uh, if you buy a shirt, you know, it obviously supports the podcast and all the rest of it, and uh, we'll pay for the design work as well. So um, check that out, newspiro.com forward slash mad gear. As usual, just wanted to thank the patron listeners. Uh, you guys are powering the podcast. Every single dollar that is raised on patreon.com forward slash newspiro pays for trips where I get to come out and meet listeners, go diving with listeners and former guests, do live interviews, this kind of thing. Uh, I did Melbourne last year. I did uh, New Zealand uh, just recently, and uh, I'd love to get out and do even more. So every dollar that goes on uh, patreon.com forward slash newspiro, um, you support on an episode by episode basis, and that's where the money is going. It's uh, And I'll join 26 other people on there, and uh, that's just going up. Uh, week after week. I just want to thank you guys for your support. If you're new to the show, uh, don't worry about it so much, but um, the guys that have been listening and have got a ton out of value, I really appreciate it. So patreon.com forward slash Noob Spiro. Um, look, massive episode today. Let's hook in Barrett Harvey, African Spearfishing Diaries. Here we go. This special episode of the Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by spearfishing.com.au. Longtime partners of the Noob Spiro podcast, spearfishing.com.au have a listener deal. Use the code Noob Spiro to save $20 on every purchase over $200. Thanks for supporting the Noob Spiro podcast and shopping with spearfishing.com.au. This episode of the Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by Audible. 
Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at noobspira.com forward slash audible. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Who uses those? Anyway, noobspira.com forward slash audible. G'day, Noob Spirit community. Welcome to the show today. You're in for a real treat. Um, he's a little bit of a, a, a cult hero of mine in the spearfishing world. It's Barrett Harvey. Welcome to the show, Barrett. Thank you very much. Good to be here, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, and uh, we've gone through our tech dramas, uh, which is nearly, well, it's quite often the case, so thanks for bearing with me. No problem. No problem. I think um, I'm also a little bit challenged when it comes to this. I just like stuff to work. That's it. Um for those people that are not familiar with African spearfishing diaries and some of your exploits over the years, um, just describe a little bit about um, where you're at now with spearfishing, Barrett. Okay, well, obviously, I've been spearfishing now for, uh, I'd say, close on 30 years. I've been filming for 25 years. It started as a bit of a hobby. Um, I was actually a scuba diving instructor, and I, used to, I got bored swimming around and obviously spearfished before, so I decided to get a camera together and start filming some of my stuff. And yeah, over the years, it's just taken me all around the world. Um, obviously, as a, uh, a person getting hired to film people spearfishing, sometimes paid, sometimes not, and just uh, have a bit of a passion. You know, I've always wanted to create a really nice um, spearfishing series. Uh, obviously, you have to learn your trade along the way. And um, obviously, working in sports production um, has helped. But uh, it's always been about getting those uh, cool spearfishing shots, going on those trips, and yeah, having having the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I'll say one thing on the on the off when we talk a bit about today about you know possibly trying to make a living. Those people out there want to make a living from um, filming spearfishing. I can tell you now, you're never going to be wealthy. I have tried. I have had a lot of close friends that have tried, but to be honest, it's not about that. It's if you want to. If you want to do it, do it for the lifestyle, get to travel around the world. But I'd say long term, be careful um, about <laughs> making it a full time career. Yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to digging into that. We're going to do making a living as a professional spearfishing photo- uh, cinema t- photographer for the Veterans Vault, and we'll dig right into some of that. And um, uh, over the years, a couple of people have requested that I get you on the show. Um, again, I touched base with thinking about getting on your show when I had Chris Dillon on from Spear Junkies. You were heavily involved in that project. And uh, I think I've peripherally been aware of you the whole time, but um, you've recently sort of fired up your YouTube channel again. And uh, you've released two phenomenal videos within the space of a couple of days. Um, so the YouTube channel is African Spearfishing Diaries. But the first vid that came out was Lekker Boys, which is just a South African tribute um, diving um, a hole in the rock. Um, tell us a little bit about about that and the two blokes you're out with. Well, as I said, uh, you know, I've been filming all this content for five or six years, but I haven't really been in a position to sit down and really have the time to get you know, the, the show together. So I'm now living in Qatar. I've got a job for a big sports uh, television company here. So the bills are being paid and I have a bit more time on my hands. So yes, I've reignited African spearfishing diaries through my YouTube channel. I put two videos up, but uh, I can tell you that I probably in this eight to 10 minute format, uh, I'll take a guess, but I've probably got another 
30 to 40, 50, 10-minute episodes, 8 to 10-minute episodes already shot. Mm -hmm. So those will be releasing. I'm going to release at least one a week for however long that takes, and I'm quite excited about that. The first one, yes, obviously I wanted to start close to home. Uh, two of the guys I dive with a lot, uh, Guy Lemem and Garrett Starts. Um, Guy is a Proteus spear fisherman, a very, very good diver in South Africa. And I, when, I, when I am home, I, I do a lot of diving with him, so I thought it was a good place to start, you know. So um, you guys are diving the, the Trans-Sky region um, and chasing like three species that intrigue me. Um, Garrick, there was the Bank Steambrass and the Daga Salmon, which is like close to the Mulloway. They were all cool shots in there. Um, are they difficult species to hunt? Um, I think like bank stembrus is pretty common, so that's nothing too. I mean, there was uh, just a nice dive with guy, a nice deep dive. I uh, give you an example of you know where we are. Water's a bit chilly. You know, the Trans Sky is a very very wild coastline. It's amazing, but it has a lot of rivers. So generally during the summer when the the rain comes, you don't often have clean water there. So. For us, it's very much a wintertime spot. We go down there when the when it dries up and the water gets clean. Um, I think the main species you hunt down there, I mean, you get everything. It's a wonderful place. It's well protected because of obviously the conditions and the weather and the accessibility of a lot of the spots. But the main fish that people go down there for, and I think is a prize fish, um, obviously the dogger salmon. You have big shoals of the Mulloway dogger salmon in the winter. But the prize South African fish has to be the black mussel cracker or the punskop, mm -hmm. which is endemic, which is endemic to South Africa. And anybody worth his weight of gold wanting to shoot a really mean, difficult fish, uh, the black mussel cracker is the, is the one to go after, is, uh, the punskop. And in the Transkei, um, you can actually get them in quite shallow water, which is quite rare. And tell where we're from, generally you have to be a, 25 to 35 meter diver in caves and they're very, very smart fish, especially the big ones. You know, they've been hunted there. Um, and you need to know your, you know, your stuff to get them. You know, some of the, the best divers in South Africa, um, know how to find them, but yeah, you know, that's the prize fish. And, um, that Transkai episode, episode one, uh, didn't have a black muscle cracker in it, but I've got another edit um, coming up, which is already edited already. I'll probably put do about episode five, five or six, where I go down to the Transkai with Rob Allen and Jeremy Williams, obviously sick. owners of Rob Allen and um, Dive Factory. And um, the day before we were diving, I found a spot with a few nice black muscle cracker, and Jeremy and I went the next day just by ourselves, and we got some great footage of shooting some really nice black muscle cracker on that spot. So that's in a video coming up, and that'll show you that endemic black muscle cracker to the world. It's a insane fish. Yeah, cool. Um, the next one I watched was the Fatty Fatty Wahoo, and then um, – like, oh, just quickly on that Lekker Boys vid, what was the dive boat you're diving out of? Was that a South African dive boat? Yes, uh, I think it's called a, a Sea Ski 444. It's a, I think it's a locally made South African boat. Um, obviously, as you can see, it looks it's, fantastic. It's a great diving boat. Not very big, um, very, very flat. Um, you got to be careful with your weight distribution on, uh, on those boats. But, you know, as you can see those conditions, you know, often we're putting the boat into uh, areas, small little bays. You've got to take the boat on the beach. You've got to dump it in the shore break. Obviously, there's a lot of waves. Um, 
you know, you need something that's light that you can, you know, three of you can push, you know, dump it onto the sand and push it into the water so it can't be too heavy. And then obviously maneuverability, it needs to have a bit of speed. And and then obviously, you know, towing it around really, really rough roads, conditions, you know, big boats are great, but, you know, they bring their own problems, wheels, axles, broken trailers, you know, the story. So yeah, that's a very popular mm-hmm. dive boat in South Africa. And obviously being smaller, it's uh, more cost effective. So, yeah, that's that's a, a, a popular one of some of the top divers in South Africa. Yeah, I loved it. I was looking at it with envy. I was thinking that's a perfect little vessel for doing that for three blokes. <laughs> and then um, the la- the next episode was Fatty Fatty Wahoo in French Polynesia. I looked on. I was I was I, I was like highly excited. I saw Eric Allard and Gerard Graves, the G Man. Um, two other guys I want to get on the show. I think I've got Eric teed up for shortly. But um, Jeep is another couple of top divers, and you had super clean water, and you were chasing massive wahoo. It's another good episode. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, thanks. Yes, I've actually done uh, two uh, fairly long trips to Revave, both with uh, Eric Allard and Gerard Grave. Um, I obviously know them both very well. Going there with, you know, some basically with uh, one of Eric from Extreme Blue Water Spearfishing's private clients, and then I did another trip with a Qatari guy there. And what a spot. I mean, that whole Austral's occupant. I mean, we all know that the biggest Wahoo in the world are down there. I think the, the world record was shot there, um, guided by mm-hmm. Gerard and he, the Tahitian pirate, he's your man in the, in French Polynesia and knows his stuff. And, you know, that, that part of the world, you know, you go down there in the winter. So the weather can be really, really crappy, but that's when the big Wahoos are there. And, you know, I called it fatty, fatty Wahoo. I was, was more in relation. Also the size, but those wahoo, when they get really, really big, one of the few fish I know, the bigger they get, especially there, the tastier they get. They have a very high fat yeah, right content, on. and they, oh, they're absolutely delicious down there. And yes, that's the place to hunt them. If you want big wahoo, you got to head down there and see the Tahitian pirate. He'll sort you out. They're ready for some swimming though. Jared, Jared, uh, as as his as his body hits the water, his legs start going backwards and forwards. So you, you do some swimming; it's good. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, he looks like a super chill dude. Um, like he just seems like a cool guy. I'm going to get him on the show at some stage, hopefully. But what's he like in person? He's a great guy. Very, very chilled. Very level-headed. Uh, no. No ego involved with Gerard, which is great. He's there to help you and put you in fish, and he's in big demand. He's got a great, uh, unbelievable backyard. French Polynesia is, is great, and, yeah, he's 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 the man in that part of the world. He's great. Very chilled. He's got a, yeah, cool. a wonderful wife in Poema. She's uh, basically the Mohana of French Polynesia. If you watch the movie, she is that person. They've just had a, okay, a, a kid, and you look at the photos, the kid's uh, snorkeling with fish, and he can hardly walk. And, yeah, he's <laughs> – watch that space. There's a, a lot coming from, from that family. Yeah, cool. Um, the other thing that I really liked about the video is there's a lot of footage of Galapagos sharks, and um, they look super chill, though. Um, what are they like to dive around? They are very, very chilled. Um, obviously, everyone knows in French Polynesia there are a lot of sharks, and um, – Obviously, any time you're going to be spearfishing, the sharks get to know what you're doing, so you've got to shoot the fish well. But they just, you know, they're there just very, very chill, cruising along with you. Obviously, when you shoot a fish, they get a bit worked up, and you just got to keep keep your wits about you and stuff. But when you're in good hands, like with Eric and Gerard, they'll 
put you uh, put you in the right direction, do the right things, and you know, uh, land a, land some good fish. But they are very very chilled. And for me, you know, the spearfishing and filming, it's not only about the fish. For me, it's about everything else that goes into it. And you know, obviously wanted to show those sharks, and so we had some nice interactions, some nice footage. And yeah, people who don't know spearfishing and think sharks are so hectic and so dangerous, you can pretty much see in that footage that they're just curious, you know. They come mm-hmm. up to you and yeah. you can see in that footage you have, you know, as soon as you look at them, they turn away. So the trick is to film them, be relaxed and get them to come in close. And that's what I was doing with those sharks. You know, you can see they cruise around and eventually you stay under long enough, those sharks will come right in, you know. Yeah, awesome. Um, I like the intro to the video as well. Like you're just on a bike, um, biking around the island. I thought that was really cool and just offering a bit of commentary. And um, obviously you've got a hectic background with drones as well, which, you know, lends itself to some spectacular um, footage. And, you know, like I, I really like the establishing shots and, you know, just getting a bit more background and, and, a, and a good overview. I, I really like the um, – the drone footage that I think it can add to spearfishing vids, and 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 you seem to be able to do it pretty effectively. How did you learn that side of things? Well, thanks. Yeah, it's just you know, obviously I'm from a production background, and um, to make a good, uh, solid production, you need all the elements. You need you know good audio, you need good filming, you need establishing shots. So it's like bringing together the whole story, and obviously. Drone nowadays has to go into videos. You know, if you don't have in big, good productions, you don't have aerials, it's, you're kind of missing the mark. So I learned very early. I had, uh, I've had drones for quite a long time and, uh, I just started using them as much as I could. And yeah, you know, as you can see in the videos, they really, really add. So, you know, I'm as proud as, you know, as an underwater cinematographer, I'm also, you know, in my videos, I want to bring that underwater world, but I also want to bring those beautiful aerials to get a, a real sense of where you are. And when you're on these magnificent tropical islands and stuff, you have to you have to get that drone footage just to show how beautiful it is. Otherwise, you'd be missing something. And um, obviously, that's what I that's what I. It made me want to go. Yeah, that's what I do now. I'm actually um, I moved to Qatar a year ago. I work for a big um, sports channel here, and I'm the the specialist drone pilot for the live broadcast. Um, team at the Alcas Sports Channel in Doha. So yeah, the drone oh, is right, eh? the cool. drone is the reason I have a living now. <laughs> Sick, that's awesome, man. Uh, like, there's much worse things you could do to make a living. That's for sure. So exactly. that's cool. Hey, um, I want to I want to take you back in time. Um, you've been spearing thirty years. Um, how did it all start? What what got you into the water? What what sort of captivated you? Well, I actually started, um, I, I was born in Johannesburg in South Africa, which is inland. And when I was about 15, my family, we moved to the coast. We bought a, my folks bought a place right on the water on the south coast, obviously being right next to the sea. And, um, I used to do a little bit of fishing in the dams and stuff inland. And obviously my, I got interested in fishing. So I, I started rock and surf fishing, you know, um, near where my home is. Um, going every day. My mother said I fed the fish for the first two years and didn't really catch anything. Um, <laughs> and a friend of mine, a guy called Carl Henzi, who lived just down the road from me, um, very young guy, but also a very, very good spear fisherman, very quick then. Him and I started fishing together. And um, obviously to save money, you know, you need these sinkers and all these nice lures. And a lot of guys used to get them caught on the rocks. So we used to got ourselves a mask and snorkel and we used to go and collect the sinkers and the, the lures and the, the you know, the, um, 
stuff from the rocks. And while we were in there, we would see some crayfish and see some fish, and that perked our interest in, yeah, wouldn't it be cool to actually bring some of these back with us? So that's kind of how it started. And once we discovered spearfishing, we put the rods back in the garage, and I don't think we ever went back. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. That's 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 a funny way to get into it. So you, it was originally to salvage fishing tackle, that's and it. then uh, and then and then you saw what was on the on offer. That's pretty cool. Exactly. Um, how did you guys How did you guys figure it out? You were just down the road from Rob Allen. Did he have his equipment out by then? Was there some guns on the market? Yes. Yeah, so Rob, uh, I've known Rob pretty much. Well, I'd say. Almost, uh, yeah, from from the early days. I remember he had a tiny little shop in Pine Town. We used to go. Obviously, Rob started at Cape Vidal. He was the parks board warden up at Cape Vidal, and he would go out and you know uh, get in the water. And he realised that he would see these wonderful fish, and he didn't. He knew at that time the, the equipment wasn't around to shoot these fish, so that's where he started. And then when he moved from Cape Vidal to Durban, he obviously started going. And yeah, I've been going to Rob for jeez. I would say it must be a good 20, 30 years as well. I've, I've known Rob and been um, using his equipment and stuff. And yeah, we, we're, I'd like to think we're good friends. And Jeremy, I'm always in there when I'm, when I'm around. And yeah, great, great guys, very down to earth and some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. They're always pushing the boundaries too. That's what I like about those too. Like there's always innovation happening. They're never afraid to just keep throwing stuff against the wall and they test and test and test. And I mean, every single major manufacturer of spearfishing equipment has been criticised for, you know, things that have gone wrong with their equipment in the past. But those guys like they they road test things to death these days and uh, I just love seeing new innovation and, um, and that's one of the cool things about Rob and Jeremy is they keep pumping it out. So it's cool. Yeah, and it is. They and they still have a passion for what they do and what they make. And and you know, one thing that I'll say about those guys, they're very technical and engineering side, or whatever. But they they're not in a rush. They do things in the right time. You know, they don't just smash things up. They you know, even the way they've built their business up and everything, they don't get ahead of themselves. They're very down to earth, and they they are, they do it properly. You know, from people that have watched them. The factory and how they do things, whatever they, it's not about uh, rushing to make money. It's about getting a good product out there. And I think the rest falls into place. And yeah, they've done very, very well. So you, you jumped in the water with, I think his name was Carl, was it? So you get in the water with Carl and, and uh, you start recovering all this fishing tackle. You see what's on offer and then you've got equipment around you. Um, what, what were some of the obstacles you guys had? What were some of the struggles you had? Uh, transport getting to the dive spots and getting call <laughs> uh, i just finished school Carl was still at school the, the biggest struggles was getting to the dive locations convince conning our parents into driving us 50 60 kilometers down the coastline to drop us off and then to pick us up again and then when i did get transport the biggest challenge was um having enough uh, sunlight early in the morning to get onto the the points to dive get the fish and then get Carl in back to school in time before his first lesson that was the the biggest challenge you know often he would <laughs> he would arrive with salt in his hair still things um 15 minutes late for his first lesson and um teachers would be like how was the dive call everyone knew that he was a, a passionate diver luckily he was a straight a student so they didn't bother too much and um yeah, he was an excellent diver. Unfortunately, he passed away in a swimming pool training for spearfishing uh, just after he turned 18. So, yeah, oh, that Jesus. was a, um, the first sort of tragedy that I've had in the sport of spearfishing. But, yeah, those were 
that was the biggest challenge, you know, <laughs> getting getting those fish. What impact did um did Carl's accident have on you? Well, as I'll, I'll discuss later in one of the topics we're going to talk about, um, it, I think it's uh, I, I became a paddy scuba diving instructor when I was in the Caribbean uh, as a way to go and live in cool places and spearfishing. So the safety side, but I think that tragedy. Uh, really brought home the the safety aspect of of spearfishing, and I like to think that one of the important, most important things in the water with me is when you're diving with people, is you know having your fun and filming whatever, but you know just keeping an eye on each other. That's the the big thing because um, things mm-hmm. happen so quickly, and I think that sort of tragedy brought home the whole safety aspect of spearfishing, and I think in a way why I wasn't too excited about the whole competition spearfishing side as well. It just is a bit too too hectic for me. <laughs> I'm about the same. I, I, one thing I, I've been looking at and thinking about a lot lately is, like, I, I still dive alone, but, but very occasionally. But um, when I go diving with some guys, I mean, you might as well be diving alone anyway. You, you start off with the good plans to be buddies and watch each other. And some some people, there, there seems to be a maturity curve and, and some people um, learn good buddy behaviour after a while when they integrate it into their diving. Other people never do. And it's just a funny thing, like these transformative experiences where unfortunately someone dies se- does seem to make a huge impact on, on people on a foundational level in terms of the way they conduct themselves in the water um is, is that would you say that that was what happened to you i think so and also you know one other thing i enjoy spearfishing listen i've dived with some unbelievably good spearfishermen and i'll say that most of the best spearfishermen in the world have a a, a a bit of selfishness to them and that drive that actually makes them really really good and that competitive and wanting to get the fish before someone else and get down there and whatever and i think without that a lot of the top spearers wouldn't be the top spearers. But personally for me, mm. I spearfish for fun. So if I go for a shore dive with a guy, I want to dive together. I want to, yeah, you're competing for the same fish and that sort of thing. But I'd like to have the, you know, similar experiences and be able to, you know, hey, did you see that? Remember that, you know, dive together when you find a hole and there's a whole lot of crayfish in the hole, you know, go work that hole together because it, it makes for some, um, some fun experiences, you know, nothing better than watching your mate get bitten by an eel in the same hole that you were about to go into, you know, have a good <laughs> chuckle and, no, thank, you know, thank you for taking the bite for me, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, to me, that's that's part of the fun is, is the experiences, the memories together. And, you know, if you – I've dived with people like that where you swim out and you literally don't see them again in two, three hours, a whole dive. And, you know, to me, that's 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 not what it's about. Sometimes I, I go with it, I'll, I'll admit it, because um, sometimes there's a joy in, in diving alone as well. But I think there's a greater joy in, yeah, like you say, like enjoying it together. But it's just uh, these questions that you that a lot of guys battle with for a long time, I think, so it's good to have that discussion again. But um, I wanted to move on, but talking about good times and stuff, what's, the, what's one of the best days you've ever had out spearfishing? You've done, you've done so much diving. I mean, you've probably got dozens of experiences, but what's one that really sticks out to you? Well, to be honest, you know, a lot of my diving started um, uh, at a place called Efafa Point down the south coast of KwaZulu-Natal. And for me, one of the, the, the best, um, it, the, you know, the things that I have, I look at spearfishing, the really, really fun days is um, driving down there early morning in the winter months. You know, obviously that time of the year, the water can be nice and clean. It's a little chilly. 
the sardine run is around. So there's a lot of activity with birds and dolphins. And arriving there before sunrise, and I've got a good friend, uh, Brendan, who has a beautiful house right on the point. I've been diving there for 30 years. It was his father's little bungalow before it was his. It's now his. And then meeting Brendan, having that cup of tea, you know, sitting there in the dark with maybe one or two other divers that have driven down and heard the water's good and waiting for that sun to come up to see if the water is clean. And then, you know, eventually realizing, you know, glaring at that water in the dark to see if it's clean and realizing it's clean. Then the, the, the hustle to get those wetsuits on and get down there onto the point and swim out and, you know, come through the waves without getting killed on the rocks uh, <laughs> if there's a bit of surf and, and sitting in the right spot and just waiting there. And it's a patient game and, you know, some people like, you know, refishing and, you know, like getting in, got to be active. You know, I, I enjoy that sort of sitting on the point early morning. You know, those Garrick, you know, that's the big thing you go for, Garrick or Darga Salmon or Queen Mackerel, in which we call the Natal Snook. And you sit on that corner and it's a nice big drop and clear and you just, sometimes you can sit there for an hour and nothing happens. And then all of a sudden there's just fish all around you getting those fish or action straight away also you can go into the white water and you can get the white muscle cracker which is quite fun also you know sneaking into the white water and uh, getting out there quick enough before the waves come and getting crushed onto the rocks and you <laughs> sit there for two or three hours then you swim out deeper to i don't know it's sort of um 15 to 20 meters in this deep reef and make your way along the deep reef trying to get some um some fish and then obviously catching your eight crayfish swimming back in um, swimming back in, you know, going to Brendan's, dumping all your gear and fish off, having a cup of tea, then waiting, you know, an hour or two and then going back out for another dive. And, you know, sometimes we would dive the whole day, do two or three dives and just the camaraderie. And, you know, that's, that's to me is a lot of, a lot of fond memories. And then yeah. obviously I've been to, been lucky enough to have gone to all the best spearfishing destinations in the world and they all offer their own unique uh, joy and pleasure and different experiences and yeah it's a lifetime of of good memories and that's yeah well hopefully i can share that with everyone now that's the, that's what i'm trying to do yeah man i'm enjoying it so far that um youtube channel of yours has got one big subscriber and me i'm enjoying just the the releases hopefully i can keep up with them um <laughs> what's a like i know when you've been spearfishing for 30 years someone asks you what's one of the most special fish you've you've ever taken it's probably like it's too big a question to ask because there's there's too many species but if you could just pick one and really sort of take us there on the day um what what, what story would you tell sure um to be honest uh, my some of my best memories of fish is filming other people shooting them <laughs> so i have got some not you know I've, I've shot some lovely fish i've you know i've shot um in zanzibar i shot a, a nice big king mackerel over 30 kilos on a far for point in five meters of water, I've shot Mulloway of 30 to 40 kilos. I've shot, um, on that point, I've shot quite a few king mackerel from the 25 to 29 kilo to marks. You know, those are sort of the fish that stand out. Um, in that, that, um, first Transcar video, I shot that nice salmon on that drop. It was, you know, good, good memory. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think, I think my biggest memories of fish is, is with the camera, being close to, I mean, it has to be at Latham Island, you know, down there sitting at, you know, doing that, you drift up onto that, that edge with a three to five knot current, 
trying to time your dive properly and, uh, you know, sinking down to between 25 and 30, just over 30 meters and just hitting the right spot at the right time and watching those massive dog tooth tuners swim in. I mean, I've been surrounded by, I've probably been, you know, within shooting distance of probably at least 10 to 15, maybe 20 dog tooth tuner between the 90 and 120 kilo range before. And that's like, <laughs> that's mind boggling, you know. Sometimes you're all alone, you're down there and you're like, where's your client? Where's the thing? And it's just, they are incredible, incredible fish. And, and it's challenging, you know, big current, deep. And just the, those are the moments managing to get that, that fish on film. And, and if you're down there with a client, you know, filming them shoot a big dog tooth tuna is quite incredible. And then just the, you know, they're not the smartest fish. You know, I think dog tooth tuna, they pretty much, it's timing, you know, being in the right place at the right time. When, when that fish is coming towards you, you'll generally carry on coming towards you, but it's all about timing. And then the just hell that breaks loose after you shoot one of those fish is just <laughs> mind boggling. That's the, that's the fun part, you know, that's the memories. Well, I maybe think. you could, maybe you could tell a, a story of one fish just that you've captured on video for a client. Um, what's a special fish that you've, you've captured on, on film? of a client taking what's something that really sticks out to you well i think i have i have one client from qatar it's um his name's dr jamal Khanji, and um hmm. i've kind of i've been diving with um jamal for sure must be seven eight nine years now he came to i was living in zanzibar and he came as a client to dive with eric and uh, nigel at uh, extreme blue water spearfishing years and years ago and um, I, I got introduced to him and, you know, offered my services for filming. And I remember diving with him for the first time. And, you know, he was maybe a 15 meter diver, 10, 15 meter diver. And it was, it was, it was a struggle. And then over the years, having watched him grow as a diver and get better and better and always being there with him and helping him build up his confidence to dive deeper and deeper and deeper. And recently this last year, um, well, a year and a half ago, he came to Latham Island again and watching him dive to 40 meters and shoot numerous big dog tooth tuna was quite incredible. And being there with him, you know, he shot fish of, I think it was 70, 80 kilos. I think he, I think he dropped one or two that were well over the 100 kilo mark. And, you know, oh, wow. being there with him and diving and, you know, getting the timing right, sinking down. Now, some of the fish we were shooting at, you know, between 30 and 35 meters and watching how, what a wonderful diver he's become. He's really, really become an exceptional diver. You know, doing the last trip I wasn't with him, but I know he was doing 40 meter dives on the drop off in three, four meter currents with a big Alamani gun. So it was quite impressive. And I think that fish, you know, shoot, filming him shoot those 80 kilo, 90 kilo doggies on Latham. Um, that was uh, really, really special. And, that's off Tanzania, isn't it, Latham Island? That's correct. So off the southern tip of Zanzibar, you head out probably, I think it's 40, 40 50 nautical mile, and there's a small little um, island called Latham. Obviously, the land part is small, and then it's got a massive um, atoll that you drive, you dive off and, you know, definitely hosts some of the biggest dog tooth tuna in the world. I know the unofficial world record uh, where Cameron Coconnell was shot there, and, uh, yeah, oh, wow. unbelievable spot. Mm. Yeah, cool. And that's that's um, Eric Allard and, and Nigel Spencer's home turf as well, isn't it? 
That's correct. Yes, they they the man uh, to chat to to go there. Yes, I've been pestered by a few listeners to get them on the show as well. So I'm sure that'll happen sometime in the future. But uh, it's cool hearing about some of the the conditions they have there. So cool. Well, it's an amazing place, and I mean, it's quite it's quite a challenging spot. I mean, the current at that place. I mean. <laughs> A three knot current is an average sort of, you know, three to six knot currents you get there diving deep drop offs. That's Oof. quite a place, eh? Quite a quite a spot. Yeah, I'd imagine you'd have to be onto it for the for the down currents as well, and, and sort of where they are and, and how to how to behave, how to position your body. Yeah, I think there it's it's not like Indonesia and stuff. I mean, I personally haven't dived Indo, but from what I've heard, those down currents. I have experienced them there before, but more uh, when I was working as a scuba diving instructor in Zanzibar years ago on the one wall, I got mm. a bit of a down current. I haven't experienced them much as far as free diving. It's quite a uh, yeah, it does happen, but you know the the drop off at um, on that point, uh, the actual is at 50 meters, so you you're generally above that sort of drop where the water like rushes down so yeah okay cool i've never heard of a spearfishing business where you could say crikey mate to save some money but nevertheless here's a first as usual on the No Spiro podcast. Head into Killshot Spear Guns. They're in Ismarada in the Florida Keys. You can save $30 on a Killshot Spear Gun or 10% off freediving classes through to April 1st. Check it out, Killshot Spear Guns. The No Spiro podcast. Great content, fantastic guests. And uh, to go with that, we've got some free online courses by Ted Hardy at Immersion Freediving. Head over to noobspero.com forward slash TED and learn to take a bigger breath hold. Learn how to use your full chest to take down more fuel so that you can stay on the bottom for longer. Check it out, noobspero.com forward slash TED. Let's, let's go into maybe your favourite species to hunt and maybe your favourite or one or even just your favourite hunting technique in general. But I find sometimes it's better to use, um, use the hunting technique on a species because then you have a little bit of context around it. So can you can you think of a species or a hunting technique that you you really love? I think uh, just your body language. You know, out in the blue water. Um, you know, obviously filming and spearfishing use very similar techniques to get close. And I think it's just reading. If you want to talk about hunting in the blue water, I mean, there's obviously a reef and you lie on the reef and wait that sort of thing, but being in the blue and you're in crystal, crystal clear water, I think hunting techniques as far as, you know, making eye contact, your body language and stuff, getting close to fish is a technique I use as much for, for filming as spearfishing. I mean, we all know mm. Wahoo. To me, Wahoo is one of the easiest fish to get close to, but people really, really struggle to get close to them. And basically, you know, it's all about not ignoring them. Basically, if you want to shoot a Wahoo, just pretend it's not there, turn your back, turn your eyes away. They're very inquisitive, but as soon as you move towards them or get your eye contact with them, they they don't want to come near you. You know, it's maybe in French Polynesia where they're big enough to eat you, that you can swim <laughs> towards them. But generally, you know, they come in. If you can actually turn your body and look away as much as possible and wait till the last minute, they'll generally swim right up to you. But as soon as you kind of show any interest towards them, that's when they turn around. And same thing with, with anything else, sharks, um, my my hunting technique is your body language, how you move, where your eyes are, um, you know, to get fish to come in close to you. And obviously with, with your cameras, you want those fish to come in as close as possible. I don't know if 
if it's true that you have a spear gun, the fish doesn't come closer or they come closer with a camera, but it's the same techniques, you know, trying to make yourself small. Don't make, don't look at them. Don't move towards them. If anything, swim away from them, you know, swim in a sort of intercepting course to them um, uh, to get close. Okay. And it's quite tough in the blue, especially when you're diving in 50 meters of water. You know, they know exactly what you, they can see, you know, so you have to develop those techniques. Those to me would be the most important for my application. I just discussed recently, like, um, just the proclivity of a whole lot of us to shoot too early when we're out in the in the blue water. I mean, you, you possibly see that with some of your clients when they're out blue water hunting for their first times. How do you kind of coach them around um, waiting to, until they're close enough? Yes, it's a, it's definitely a problem, and uh, I've had many. <laughs> obviously, I'm in the water a lot with them, and you, you get used to how close you are. You can see, but the amount of not arguments, but telling clients that you were miles <laughs> away from the fish and them totally disagreeing with you is it's a regular occurrence, you know. And and you yeah, just got to yeah. it's something you've just got to learn, you know. A lot of people say, wait until you can see that movement in the fish's eye or whatever. You just have to to learn to judge it. But you know, generally when you haven't dived in blue water and you, um, you know. You, you're swimming towards a fish. If that fish doesn't look like, obviously it comes with experience, but you can tell if a fish is calm. If you're going closer and you're moving closer and the fish doesn't seem to like want to speak, just keep going, you know, get as close as you can before you shoot that mm. thing. Um, mm. I think a, a lot of spearers, you know, you have a lot, a lot of time, you have a lot more time than you think, you know, you, you take that fly. It's not like, you know, people are used to diving in dirty water and rough seas. The fish are scooting past. You've got to take that fish as quick as possible. And blue water, when the fish are chilled, you know, you you have a lot more time. And um, I think that just comes with experience, you know, as also when it's not your fish, you're watching somebody else do it. It's always a lot easier to comment on what they did wrong, <laughs> <laughs> which, which yeah, is not always yeah, taken like in, in the best is best way. But, yeah, that's that's the thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, shot placement, um, is that a big deal? Um, obviously a lot of people lose fish, so I'm assuming, is it because they're using underpowered guns or they're shooting from too far away or are they hitting the fish in a poor location? I think in my, my experience in some of the, the trips, obviously depending what you're hunting, but let's talk about dog tooth tuna, for example. Um, there is definitely a, a best shot for a dog tooth tuna. Um, with the power of them, obviously it depends what equipment you're using, but obviously that that shot where that fish let it just swim, you know, slightly past you and shoot it, you know, f from behind, sort of out the mouth, you know, on that sort of mm. center line coming out the mouth. The spear is nice and straight. It's not like totally um, at a sideward angle, putting lots of pressure on the fish. And generally, those big dog tooth tuna, they're pretty chilled. They can swim past you and they'll, they'll, you know, if you're close enough, you can get that shot. The biggest problem is, you know, people have spent a lot of money coming on these trips. Us spearers are a, a different breed. They're so worked up. They're frothing at the mouth <laughs> and it's just <laughs> taking Hail Mary shots. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. you're not close enough to a dog tooth tuna and you have very few opportunities a lot of time to get those fish but there's nothing worse than injuring a big fish where you take a hail mary and you think you're close enough you know you're not close enough you know you're not thing but it just takes discipline you know not to injure those fish and not to um i mean landing a big dog tooth tuna with a perfect shot is is 
difficult enough as is, and there's very little chance you're going to land those fish when you don't have a good With shot. A sh- so rather than injure the fish, you know, you get you can get them on the next pass, or you know, have another chance, or you know, you don't want to kill that beautiful fish for for nothing. And that's the biggest problem. And often it's on day one, day two, where yeah. you you get people taking these hail marys, injuring fish, and a lot of the time, for example, in Zanzibar, you know. I like what Eric and Nigel do. Off, very often when they arrive at Latham, they don't go to the big dog tooth tuna spot straight away. Sometimes they'll mm. dive on the western side for a whole day, day and a half, you know, getting the guys, getting a bit of fitness up, getting their gear sorted, getting their, you know, everything System. tuned nicely, get a bit relaxed in the water before they take them to the really deep. Listen, it doesn't always have to be deep. They have ways of getting the fish up shallow and giving you good opportunities even if you're not a 30 meter diver they'll get you opportunities on those fish but i think they do it very smartly in not taking people there straight away a lot of time because you know that's when those Mm. hail marys happen and you're not ready and you just you know needlessly injure those beautiful fish you know for nothing recently i had some discussion that could be rather controversial um it was a little bit of a frank opinion from experienced bureaus that uh, roller guns were not ideal for punching through big, thick tuna uh, in particular. Um, they preferred conventional banded guns, obviously big uh, old-school timber guns like the Alemani type setups. Uh, they they believe that they are superior for going through these bigger fish. Um, do, you, do you have an opinion that you'd like to share on that? Uh, my opinion is depends what, <laughs> you know, what guns you're using. You know, every, there's mm. there's there's guns and then there's guns, you know what I mean? I personally mm. love love roller guns, but it's how you shoot the fish, how close you are. Um, I mean, to me, the most suited uh, gun for shooting big dog tooth tuna are the Alemanis. Just because mm. I've, I've been close enough to seeing enough big dog tooth tunas being shot with Alemanis, so obviously maybe I'm a bit biased, but, you know, to me, mm. it, you know, you need a gun for a big dog tooth tuna. You need to hurt that fish as, as much as you can. And uh, mm. there's there's very few guns that are big enough, um, are you know, um, uh, uh, how can I say? Powerful it? enough. They're powerful enough, but they're also um, balanced enough in the water to be diving, you know, doing some deep dives. And also to be pushing a 10 mil spear, which is what I think you need mm. uh, to to really knock a big uh, dog tooth out. You know, a 10 mil spear really, really makes a difference. And you know, you've, there's few, very few good, accurate guns that can that can push that shaft and give you the distance mm. that you need. Um, at the same time, just because you have a big roller gun, whatever. Um, I think people make a lot of mistakes that they think they can shoot the fish from further away. I disagree. I think you still need to be close and make sure you get that spear through. Um, I think yep. that can be a, a, a negative for some of these big roller guns thinking that you don't have to get close to the fish. You still have to get close to the fish to, to, to give it the effect. But for me, I love roller guns. I use a, you know, in here, I live in Qatar, there's some good fishing. I, you know, my favorite gun at the moment is a Rob Allen Carbon 1.1 roller. Oh, his rollers look sick. I yeah. love them. No, they love They him. seem excellent. And I think that's, that's the ultimate length for that Rob Allen roller, that 110. Personally, for me, it's got great distance. It gives you full power right to the end of their range. It's, they're super accurate and, 
you know, for me, that's the gun. I've got a 90 centimeter double roller that's um, fantastic for everything local, but obviously, mm -hmm. um, going out to some deep reef and targeting blue water stuff, I'd, I'd probably want to go a longer length as well. And uh, the Rob Allen's something I've looked at. Um, the price point's a little bit intimidating, to be honest, <laughs> but um, you know, just for a gun that I'm not going to use very often, you know, like. Um, I've never even really been out on a dedicated blue water trip yet, although it's definitely around the corner. But it's, yeah, it's something I'm looking at and considering, maybe even um, sharing with a friend or something like that, um, just to sort of um, balance the costs out, you know. But, uh, yeah, cool. Um, moving on, toughest situation. What's one of the scariest things that's happened to you in the ocean and sort of what, what, what ended up happening and, and what did you learn from it? Well, um Probably the most famous incident that's happened to me, which everybody has seen, is the potato grouper grabbing my hand. Oh, that's your I, – I knew it was yours the other day I seen that, and then I was like, oh, that's his bloody bit of footage because that thing's done the rounds, man. Yeah, well, I was I was diving with Chris Coates in uh, Mozambique in Milibangalala. We were on a trip with Rob Allen and Jeremy Williams and the guy. We often go camping in the beautiful coastal forest and – uh, I was actually spearfishing on that occasion and Chris Coates was filming me. We were diving the one spot and I was like, oh, let's, no, I don't often get a chance to get in front of the camera. So we set it up and, um, we were just trying to shoot some blood snappers on this one spot. And there are potato bass around there. It was quite new, but I didn't quite realize how, um, how tuned into spearfishermen those potato bass was. <laughs> and yeah, obviously, as you saw, Chris uh, captured it all beautifully. I have, I had a, onboard camera as well which i captured the fish coming in and then we got a whole lot of interviews and stuff afterwards on the boat which i'll be releasing that full <laughs> story in one of my episodes coming up you know a lot of people have just seen the cool. actual thing grabbing my hand but um yeah yeah that's that was one of the but it was fine we were down for a long time obviously it was a bit of a dangerous situation but uh, and that i don't know it was just very calm you know i just knew i had to get my hand out of its mouth mm. and that's what i did you know <laughs> yeah you didn't panic at all, I'm going to have to link this video up in the in the in today's show notes so people can come and have a look at it because it's well worth having a look at. Um, so if people go to noobsfero.com forward slash we'll do Barrett B A R R E T, I'm going to link that video up just so people can have a look. But yeah, you didn't panic at all, and it was kind of surprising because gee, it was it was an intimidating experience. It was a big bloody fish. Yeah, I reckon it was around about 90 kilos. So yeah, and um, I mean, I think. I think when you can't, you know, I was down there, it's very calm, relaxing. You just, it's survival instinct. You do what you have to do. And it, luckily, it, luckily it came naturally, but I think it's just spending a lot of time in the water. You learn to, to be calm, you know, it's hmm. the way it is. So you, you were on, you were on a wreck. Yeah. No, and we you, are on a reef, on a reef. I was on a reef. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and you've, you've, you've shot a fish and this thing's come out of nowhere. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I, well, I was playing for the camera a little bit. I actually stoned it. I stoned the blood snapper and I thought, you know, Chris is filming. Let me do the nice swim up the line, grab the fish and the gills, you know, swim to the surface, you know, do it all for the camera. And as I brought my hand over to grab it in the gills, the, the potato bass came out of nowhere and, and obviously went for the fish. But fortunately, my hand was stuck sort of in the gills of the fish, so it trapped my hand. Yeah. And it didn't want to let go. So I kind of pulled against it and it kind of reversed against me and it didn't want to let go. Obviously, the only way I could get my hand out was to put my other hand inside its mouth like, and to push against it to give myself some leverage to rip my hand out. And I ripped my hand quite badly. Um, it wasn't so much the cuts because it has very small little teeth, rakers. 
It was more the pressure yeah. uh, burnt uh, burnt yeah. a couple of blood vessels. And you'll see by the video, our hand was really swollen up. But yeah, it was a it was a good laugh. And the funny thing was, <laughs> so it swam off with a fish, which we got footage of, and the gun and my my gun. Yeah. And it went into a cave. So we obviously um, had to go get my gun and stuff. So Chris and I went back down to film the grouper. So I've got footage of the grouper sitting, the potato grouper sitting in the cave with a big fat stomach. <laughs> and I'm down there and I'm filming it, whatever, and we're doing the shot and everything. And then I hear Chris, lady idiot, going <clears throat> underwater. And I look up and there's another blood snapper above the cave and he shoots the blood snapper right above the grouper's <laughs> head. I was like, you know, we're, we're slow, le- slow learners, us uh, spearfishermen. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that was, that was fun. Is that is that a spear fisherman thing or was that a South African thing? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I know we I know we are a bit special in South Africa when it comes to things that seem to bother us and not bother us. I suppose it's just where we've grown up diving, you know. Mm. Did you? Um, obviously, you relax. You reacted calmly. You got your hand back out. Um, there was probably some heavy risk of infection just with the feral stuff that gathers around their teeth i'd imagine in their mouth did you have to sort of rinse your arm off in that yes um it and also where we were camping so we're camping in the coastal forest so it was near mm. the beginning of a trip luckily we had uh, mr rob allen on hand and he had some um some very very good stuff i'm trying to remember what the name of it is so he he always has it with him that we use um for any cuts and you know you're in that moist sort of tropical conditions mm. I, I definitely had to keep it clean as often as possible but we used um stuff was invented during the first world war uh, that the guys in the trench used to um you know put on their cuts and everything and um got a bit of peroxide and stuff when you remember what it is i'll i'll put that in the show notes as well um because i'm not qu- i'm not quite familiar with what yeah, you're referring it's excellent. to most pharmacies and, and the thing is it's it doesn't burn it's super cheap you go into a pharmacy and you ask them to make it up and um it's unbelievable i'm trying to think what it's called it sounds like an essential thing to have in um in a first aid kit particularly if you're doing like long long trips to um, remote areas. I mean, obviously, a lot of sparrows have got onto the fact now that you want to have a tourniquet and a, and a really good first aid kit, particularly if, you know, there's no medical care within, you know, a fair distance of you. But that sort of cleaning agent that, that's not going to kill you. It's um, actually, it's, I remember the name. It's called USOL, U-S-O-L, USOL. And it's basically a okay. bit of peroxide. Where you put it on and you leave your the wound open. But... I've seen people with like little infectious, you know, those little cuts you get from fishing and stuff that have almost started mm-hmm. to go, you know, off. They put that stuff on and you know, it sorts it out quickly. And literally it costs nothing. You know, the guys in the pharmacy, I think they don't sell it because, I mean, we've had a laugh with Rob sitting around the campsite thinking, you know, we should, we should rebrand the stuff. We should put it in a bottle. We should like <laughs> maybe add some chili, chili into it. So when you put it on, it stings you a little bit or something, you know, make people think that it's worthwhile. But, I just think it's yeah. too good and too cheap to make anything from it. And ah, yeah, it's um, cool. It's University of Scotland, something. It's yeah, it's a very old thing around, but it's excellent for fishing trips. You sold. Cool. All right. Um, was, was there any other takeaways from that experience? Um, obviously, you got to pay attention when there's big um, potato cod around or or huge groper species. Um, but, I mean, that's kind of an obvious thing. Was there anything you changed or did differently after that? Well, I, I definitely did. You know, when you 
up until that moment, they were just potato grouper. You know, obviously they're protected in Mozambique and South Africa. So they, potato groupers are definitely the, I have to say, the most aggressive fish on the reef, more so than sharks. Up in, I used to live up in northern Mozambique and I've seen those potato groupers literally ramming, you know, the, the brindle bass. Oh, wow. Three times the size of them, having a go at them, rushing towards sharks and chasing them away. They like, and the thing is when they don't get hunted, then they, totally become yeah. totally aggressive or totally they're not scared of you in any way i did notice i must admit after that incident every time i lay on the bottom like there were some really really good spots the one spot we we're lying on this ledge probably like 28 meters and i remember lying there lining up on a on a green job fish and i'm about to pull the trigger and a very rough coral and this deep drop off and i'm lying on the bottom i'm with a real gun and I, something said, look around, and there were literally like four big potato groupers just staring at me going, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. Like they, they knew exactly what was going to happen. I actually ended up, didn't shoot the fish because I just knew it was going to be complete chaos. If, uh, yeah. if I shot that fish and it reefed me up, it was just going to be uh, yeah, too much effort to <laughs> head it back to the surface. Yeah. A lot of guys don't realize too, like you, you might be, say you you might be able to lay on the bottom and maybe 20 meters or 60 feet of water and you, you, you get like 20 seconds down there or maybe 15 seconds. It's long enough to hunt a fish. But if you shoot a fish and it holes up on you, jeepers, it's a pain in the ass because all of a sudden you find you actually have to be a much better diver to get the bloody thing out. So sometimes it's not worth a hassle. Exactly. And that's, that's the thing. Um, I, I, you know, being a thinking diver, thinking spearer, you know, I, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm the, I would, by no means, I claim to be a great spearer. I just love doing it, whatever I, you know, but watching, hmm. watching some of these top divers, it's, it's a proper reef hunting and diving deep and getting fish out of caves and it's a proper skill, which I don't claim to be any way brilliant at, but it's, hmm. You know, there's a lot of techniques. And as soon as you add current into the mix, you know, if you're lying oh, on a yeah. reef and you're deep and you're going to worried about getting reefed up, you know, unfortunately, most spearer wouldn't wouldn't even be thinking anywhere near that part. They're just thinking you fish must die. You know, that's that's as far as they think. <laughs> and then deal deal with the fallout afterwards. Personally, I, yeah. I like to cause as little hassle as possible. Yeah, yeah I, I'm right there with you. Is that more spearfishing shit? Yeah, it is, honey, but it's my favourite podcast. You just kind of stop yourself. You're obsessed. Well, that's true, but Shrek told me I'd, I'd lose my 90s dad look. Baby, it's all for you. Noobspearer.com forward slash mad gear. Hats, beanies, tank tops, t-shirts and hoodies. For noobers mad about spearing, head over to noobspearer.com forward slash mad gear. Upgrading the composite or carbon fiber spearfishing fins is a huge step in your spearfishing journey and you want to make a smart investment. So I'm going to suggest investing your moolah in penetrator fins. These fins have got a long lasting performance. They've got a warranty that outperforms anything else in the industry. Check them out at penetratorfins.com. Their before and after sales service is absolutely phenomenal. These fins are being worn by champions all over the world. Check them out at penetratorfins.com for a limited time only. Use the code NoobSpero to save $25 on any purchase of composite or carbon fiber fins. Check them out, penetratorfins.com. 
Um, hey, Barrett, let's move on to Veterans Vault. So we've got an intriguing topic today. We're going we're gonna to dig into making a living as a professional spearfishing cinematographer. You're possibly one of the only, uh, you'd be one of five or six guys in the world that's been able to do this um, as successfully as you have. You've done it for a long time. Um, so I'm really looking forward to digging into this. Um, you've kind of broken it down into some sort of um, core skill areas, and I'd really like to dig into some of the topics. But, um, yeah. Great. Sounds good. So the first topic you identified was um, diving competence. So um, this thing, that doesn't happen overnight, does it? No, and that's the thing, you know. You know, to be a decent uh, underwater cinematographer, to film spearfishing or to do anything where you're not concentrating on your diving, you're concentrating on, you know, doing a whole lot of other stuff within your diving. I mean, it goes without saying that you should know how to free dive in some manner before you, you know, can really, really start um, becoming good at filming spearfishing. Um, mm. Obviously, there's different levels of filming spearfishing, whether it's just filming yourself spearfishing, but if you want to make a profession and you want to make a living, you need to be a, a decent diver because a lot of the time you've got to, You've got to be down there a lot longer than the guys you're diving with, you know. You've got to, mm. you know, to get mm. those different shots, you know, often you want to be down there before he comes down. Let him come down, film him, and watch him go up. So the better diver mm. you are and the more relaxed you are, obviously, it goes without saying that um, um, it helps. I, I, I wouldn't say that you have to be a good spear fisherman to be a good, you know, cinematographer, cinematographer of spear fishing. It definitely helps in that you you know what to expect. You know you know what the fish is going to do. You know where to find them, what looks good. If you're on the bottom, a good place to hide, you know, away from the fish, uh, so that you're not you know messing up the fish for the for the other guy. And you know when you're diving on the bottom, often you you're down there, uh, you're diving with really really good divers. The last thing you want to do if you don't have the fitness or the skills is you know you've been both been lying on the bottom trying to bring in that nice green job fish and now you run out of air, the worst thing you can do is bolt up, you know, scoop that fish away from the diver. He's not going to be too chuffed with you, you know? So for you, like obviously you've died for a long time, but what were some of the conscious things you did to build your own competence as a freediver? I think I was lucky just to to spearfish, you know, before um, I started filming. So I had a good run of spearfishing and, you know, we used to do a lot of shore diving in South Africa and we'd dive sometimes, you know, five, six, seven hours a day we'd be in the water and a lot of the places were inaccessible. You were walking, you were climbing up these big hills, you were carrying your fish. So you just got fitness and you just became good divers diving in those tough conditions and becoming fit and, you know, working out your own skills, spearfishing before, before I actually started, um, uh, actually started the, you know, the filming side of it. Um, and yeah. it's just time in the water, just getting fit. Now, to, funnily enough, um, I've only become, <laughs> about eight months ago, my wife um, here in Qatar, she wanted to get into free diving. So I did my first free diving course. So officially, I've only been a free diver for about a year. <laughs> <laughs> so like, what, what was your, what's, what's your take on free diving courses? I think, that, I think they're great. Uh, I think... Um, you know, there's a very big difference between being a deep free diver and being a deep spear fisherman. You know, you can learn to, in a free diving course, you can be taught to free dive to 30 meters in a week or two. But to be a competent spear fisherman at 30 meters will take you 
a few years to become really good at that depth and be able to work at that depth. And that's the difference, you know. I've uh, mm-hmm. been on trips with guys that are some of the deepest freedivers, record holders, whatever, but put a gun in their hand and chase a dog tooth on a drop off at 25 meters and they, it's not the same story. And I've, you know, they've, <laughs> they've said to me, you know, this is, this is a different, this is a different skill, you know, and that's the, that's a different thing. But I definitely think that, um, freediving courses are a great thing. And, you know, um, the guy I spoke about earlier, Dr. Jamal, who's become such a good freediver, he's the guy that started International Spearfishing Academy. So he's the one that's ah, built it okay. up. And he's yeah, cool. That thing looks I've, crazy. I've seen him become a forty-meter diver, and you know, build the course with Chris Coates and some big names. Ryan Myers has helped him out a bit, and he's got mm, a really, really mm. good course behind him. And I think, I think courses like that are are really good because they're incorporating. The freediving skills with spearfishing. So that's the, it's kind of bringing the two together. I know other people have done it as well. Our good, my good friend Dimitris Kolias had a, you know, good uh, thing going over there in Greece as well. And, um, yeah, I think mixing the two, but I definitely, if you, if you haven't spearfished before and you want to kind of get into it, a freediving course, I think is a good way to start. Hmm. Cool. Cool. All right. Interesting. So it, it does like in terms of a skill set you need for, Potentially becoming a professional cinematographer, though, it, it does sound like a journey of years to, to build that diving confidence. Yes, you need to be competent in the water. You need to know what you're doing, you know, and you need to you know you need to build confidence with your clients that you know they hmm. they believe in you and they you know know that you. I mean, somebody at the end of the day, if you want to make a living from it, you're going to have to you know you get that guy to pay you money to film you and they're not going to do it if mm. you've just started spearfishing out in general you know yeah okay cool all right number two you had camera equipment and application within the spearfishing environment um it's 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 a it's a technical uh skill set to learn the old camera stuff what i would say to people who want to film you obviously you need to know what your application and what your outcome is what the end goal is you know i to be honest I filmed a lot of clients for a long time with GoPros, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're brilliant cameras for what they can do. I mean, at the time, in the early days, a lot of it was filming with GoPros, and that was because I couldn't afford to buy big, fancy camera housings and stuff. You know, you, you're trying to make a living. You're trying to travel. You've got to pay your expenses, and sometimes, you know. But it's whatever camera you use, it's to it's to learn to get the best out of that equipment, you know, and 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 work out where you're going to, what you're going to do with the footage, you're going to output. Like, you know, if you're filming for clients, you want to make a nice video and that sort of thing, they just want to use a, uh, you know, they just want a nice video to upload to the Instagram or the YouTube. Uh, you don't need to be diving with a, a red or, a, you know, $30,000 rig. Obviously, if you're making yourself a nice feature film or that, the better the quality, the better. But, and also the, and then it comes down to size, your freediving ability and stuff. You know, the bigger the camera, the bigger the housing, the more difficult it is to get the shot. So sometimes you can you get this wonderful equipment, this big housing, whatever, but you can't actually do as much with it because you're restricted to size or whatever it is to, to get that. So work out what your goals are, what you want to do. Um, are you, you know, what do the people want to do? Are you filming professionally? Obviously, if people are hiring you to, you know, film for a TV show or whatever, you're going to have to have a certain level of equipment. But, um, you know, that's what I look at. I mean, obviously, at the moment I'm diving, um, I have 
I'm I'm in love with uh, Sony mirrorless cameras, and I use Nordcam yeah. Nordcam housings. To me, those are some yeah. of the best setups. My very very mm, first mm. camera was a Sony Hi8. I was living in Saint Martin in the Caribbean, working as a scuba diving instructor, and I I wanted to film. I bought myself an Amphibico dive buddy housing, and I had a little okay. Hi8 camera. It was actually quite a massive thing. And I remember in the early days going into Rob and him helping me out and strapping that huge housing to the bottom of a barrel and swimming <laughs> around shore diving with this, this, this big housing coming with a spear gun going out the top and actually using the housing handles to swim around and to film and then taking it back and shooting with that. Uh, um, obviously the, the mirrorless have come out there that, you know, you can get a really, really small camera in a small rig with very, very high quality and excellent low light. So that's, that's my, my camera and housing of choice. And then obviously you need to back it up with, um, sort of action cams. You know, the GoPro is the ones that I use the most. Um, yeah. when I'm filming myself, I like putting it either on my head or I have like a little spear gun handle that I've strapped a GoPro onto the top. Um, and okay. I, so that gives me that movement of moving it around and spearing with the other hand. And then obviously okay. the, the, uh, the Sony action cameras are very, very good. You can attach them. And then obviously the new Paralens is very, very good. The little pencil cam. Yeah, they look good. Uh, I personally so, haven't used it much, um, but I uh, really like mm. what they've done there and it, it does seem very, very good. It does seem like a good way to get your foot in the door. Do you, do you sort of, do you believe in that starting with something small and manageable and then steadily upgrading or? I think that's a good way to go. Listen, it's, it's difficult, to be honest, it's difficult enough to film spearfishing, you know, with all the elements and free diving or whatever. And, you know, it's like, I'll give an example, you know, how often do you, you know, the, the, Phones, these iPhones and stuff. We walk around, we all take wonderful photos and we, everywhere we go, we take a nice video, take a phone and look how much we use it. A lot of people are sitting with a beautiful big Canon or Nikon at home and how often do they actually use that thing? Because it's just a pain mm. in the ass sometimes, you know, getting it out, the lenses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, just make life as simple as possible for you. If you want to, if you want to make your own little videos, get yourself a GoPro, strap it to your head or get a little handle or get a Paralens put on your mask and, you know, make life as easy as possible for you. Obviously, if you're going into the professional side, you need to, you know, you need to have a certain level of quality and, um, you know, being able to get the different angles and you need different things to do that. But, um, I would say, yeah. you know, try and make it as simple as possible within. And also you're on the ocean. Like hmm. you have these wonderful cameras, but you know, it's often you get out of the water and you're sopping wet and you jump on the boat and now you've got to film a guy putting the thing you wet and you, what do you go into your dry bag or go into a box, pull out a camera with a microphone on it. It's, <laughs> you know, you have to work a system where you can actually do it all without damaging or losing the equipment or getting the quality, but you just got to work out what works best for you. Hmm, cool. Um, I was going to say, with, with guys that are just starting to film other people instead of just, you know, having a head mount on or whatever and filming their own stuff, and they actually start consciously filming the other guys they're diving with or the other girls they're diving with, um, do you recommend doing that, that, that sawn-off sort of spear gun handle setup or do you use a tray mount? What do you recommend these guys do, even if they've got an action cam? Is there a, a, a way to give them a nice stable platform? I, I when I'm filming other people, say, so let's... I've obviously got my Nordcam housing, which is great. I've got a nice 10 to 18 wide lens, so that's good. But if you're going smaller scale, say, 
for GoPro, for example, I would put it on a tray mount so you've got that double hand um, sort of stability to film. Obviously, the smaller the camera, the more, you know, the bigger the camera, the more stable it is, the smoother it can be. Like sometimes when it gets a bit small, if you've got it in one hand, it can, you know, it can wobble quite a lot. So I, I like that tray mount with the GoPro. If I'm filming, mm. if I'm filming myself spear fishing and want the ability to film the reef and other stuff. I mean, obviously, there's the old, there's the gun mount, which is a great angle, but it's it's very very restrictive. You know, you literally get mm. that shot with that fish coming in, shot and away, and that's it. You know, if you put it on yeah. a little like a GoPro mount, what I do is I I have a Rob Allen um, gun handle that I've sawed. Um, I've taken, I've kind of done it in half, and I've attached the GoPro on the top, and then I've put a little mm. sort of bungee on the end of it and basically I swim around diving I push that bungee up my arm and it just sits there on my arm like you the guys do with torches you know they just have a, a yeah, bungee yeah. on the end and you stick it in literally I dive around and when I want that I just slide the camera down ready to go and I can do interviews on the surface I just turn it around I can film other things if I see a turtle or see whatever at ability and then obviously when you're spearfishing you can actually get down and you can you can film that fish coming in all the way. You can shoot it and film it going off, and it gives you a lot more versatility on a on a gun handle. Obviously, it's it'll be more stable with a double mount, but it's uh, you can't really have a double mount and have the spear gun, you know. So that's mm -hmm. the the application, you know. Okay, sick. And um, is there any uh, like in terms of learning the technicalities of 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 using cameras effectively? Is there any books or resources you point people to or do you like the school of hard knocks and just learning as you go you know nowadays you can learn everything on youtube so if you don't know go watch a video there's thousands there's lots of things but you know i think it is trial and error the best way is to just film just to film as much as you can and you'll learn you know that's the, the thing but you know your basic setup when you get a new camera a new a new you know system just go onto youtube watch a video you know and if you that doesn't mm -hmm. work give me a call i'll tell you what I know. <laughs> you and I were chatting a little bit before the show about the um, paralysis by analysis, kind of overlearning stuff without actually, you know, creating anything with it. And I think, you know, it's, it's great to know a lot of technical stuff, but, you know, it's not going to stay with you unless you sort of immediately apply it in a practical way. So I think kind of that learning as you're doing is, is, is good. Um, sometimes it's, it, it plays against you, I think, because, you know, you have to do something wrong in order to learn, you know, the, the correct way to do it. Is it you, would you agree with that? I think so. Um, I don't like to get bogged down in the details, you know. Um, I, I like nice equipment. I like it to work. I need to know that if I, you know, point it in the right direction, it's going to do what I want to do. Obviously, there's a certain amount of technicality that goes into it when you, when you get a bit more advanced with your actual big cameras and housings, you know, your depth of field and your, you know, your focus and all. But there's some very, very smart people that have designed these cameras like GoPros and stuff, you know, just a lot of the time just, you know, they've got those presets for you. They've got those those automatic setups. If you're not doing it super professionally, you know, they're smarter than you. A lot of the time they'll they'll get it right. So just, you know, mm. use use what they offer you. And, um, okay, cool. Yeah, don't get too bogged down in the details. Get something good and reliable. And, um, you know, we all know what the good things are. Um, take those hands out the pocket and spend the money on the good stuff and use that. 
<laughs> okay, um, item number three, and we've kind of been discussing some of the elements of it, but production skills. Okay, obviously there's, to me, I mean, I have a, a background in sports television. Um, I've, I, I had a company in South Africa. We did a whole lot of uh, television shows for the local, well, the, the, the sports channel that goes through Africa. We did a fly fishing series of 52 episodes, and you obviously learn production quality in doing that. Now, I like to think that I've been able to bring that to spirit. I didn't always know that. It's something that I learned along the way, but there's a lot of different things that goes into a good all-round spearfishing video. Now, obviously, there's a lot of videos that are up there that are people filming themselves and doing things, and they, you know, music videos, music montages. But I think if you if you really want to create a good production for a client or for a TV show, you need um, – it's a skill that you definitely need to develop. So it's it's telling a story. For me, you know, that nowadays the cameras are getting smarter and smarter. And people have said to me, aren't you afraid that uh, people are going to, these cameras and stuff are going to steal your job and whatever. I'm, <laughs> I'm so happy that these cameras are around and people are learning and being able to do more things. But telling a story is still a skill that a lot of people don't have. And it's, and it's very, very simple things. It's like you're going for a day of diving. And a lot of the, you, know, hmm. you will, when you sit down to, to make that edit, you need all the different elements to tell that story. A simple thing is from walking to the car to the boat or going from hmm. the boat hmm. to getting into the water or you, you need those little links. And that comes with, you know, a bit of planning and a bit of time and knowing that those are the, those are the things that you need to, to create a good story. Like, you know, the, you're talking about the the first video, you know, getting to, getting to the location, launching the boat, getting out there, getting establishing shots with a drone, um, you know, mm. putting on the gear, getting in the water. After the shoot, doing a little voxy to bring the story together, tell them what's going on. You know, those are all little production things that you learn, and you have to be disciplined, and you have to be on it all the time. You know, you can't. If you're going to decide to to make spearfishing films, you and you want to be good and you want to be consistent, you have to always be filming. You can't. Oh, mm. I'll get that later, or I'll. Oh, don't worry about it. I want to get in the water and spear. You have to be just. You have <laughs> yeah. to get it. It's just the way it is. You know what I mean. Mm. And you can't miss a step because you can have a. Especially once you start producing films in quality and you do it in a certain way, then when you don't have that little that element in the thing people notice it like oh where's that part of it you know so yeah you've yeah, got to yeah. um you've got to be on it and i mean there's different elements to the production there's obviously the the telling the entire story which is one thing i'll say the other side is the filming it then there's the whole sound mm. side of of things and how do you get good quality sound because <laughs> there's nothing that messes up a video worse than um bad sound and crappy sound to, to be honest you also got to you got to play with like, you know, I know what good sound is and I have microphones and that, but it's not always applicable when you're out on a boat and it's howling wind and it's wet and, you know, you've just got out the water yeah. to use, get another camera out of the microphone. So then is the sound coming through a GoPro good enough? Yes, you can get mm. decent sound from a GoPro, but you need to know how to hold the thing so that you're not making noise with your hands. Uh, in the water, how to hold it if you're going to do little voxies. And then also, is the GoPro sound good enough for the application? Where are you going to put this video? If you're going to send it to a broadcaster, mm. they're not going to, they're not going to like GoPro sound or to a certain extent, they'll mm. take a certain amount if you filmed it, but you have to, 
you know, do that. You know, you have to, you have to mm. be disciplined and know how to get the best uh, result with what you're using and in the conditions that you, you're working in. And then obviously there's the, so, so carry on. I was just going to I was just going to interject a little bit. Um, for guys that are wanting to add like a little bit of narrative and storytelling to it, do you recommend like a, a like a lapel mic or something basic like that just to just to improve the sound quality a bit? Definitely, if you can get yourself a little microphone um, or a little mm-hmm. uh, you know sort of gun mic on the top of your camera, there's some brilliant little ones like Rode do a you know, very good little micro. Um, um, microphones that go on shotgun mics, a uh, little, put a bit of little right load fluffy on it to, to knock the wind out. But mm. a good narration, like I'm trying to stay away from doing any voiceovers on my videos because I like it to be as natural yep. and as live as possible. And to, to do that, you have to be constantly filming little voxies, filming little things on the surface. Hey, I come up from a dial. Okay. Well, this is what's happened. We've just done this. You need, you need to narrate the story there and then, you know, and to me, that's the best way to do it. This isn't always the easiest and it takes a bit of discipline to always be, you know, going yeah. up to your, also with your client, you know, putting that camera in his face after every so often and getting him to say something so that you, when you do the edit, you've got that little voxy in that piece that just pulls it all together and you don't need to do any voiceover. Voiceovers are great and there's definitely a place for them, but I prefer to try and keep it as real as reality as possible, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got a very natural style when you talk to the camera. Um, have you got any mental tricks? Because I, I see some Spiros that try to do the narrative stuff and um, it comes across sometimes as very contrived and almost painful, like they they almost resent the fact that they're having to do it. Um, and I get it because sometimes it's work and you just want to go spearfishing. But what's kind of how, – how do you approach – like speaking into the camera when it's just you, like with a selfie stick or something like that? Well, you know, I think you, you touched on something that I was going to mention later. You you need to – it's one of my topics later that um, the next topic is role definement. Uh, you know, you have to decide, mm. are you are you a cameraman or are you a spearfisherman? Because it's very mm. difficult to do both. So if you're going to – if you're going to be professional and you're going to make good quality videos, you can't be thinking – uh, I couldn't be bothered to do this. I want to go spearfishing. You need to do it. You know, that's just, just the way, the way it is in that moment. You need that foxy and you need that, um, that thing to build it together. And it's okay to be a, a spearfisherman who films or a, um, you know, uh, but just, just be realistic about, you know, what it is that you want to get out of your videos and, and what you want to do, you know? Mm, okay. Cool. Cool. And um, we missed one. It was customer skills and safety trust. Was that um, that's another sort of silo of skills? I mean, for for sure. So, so I think you know, I'd like to you know, this whole journey of you know, you know, making a living from spearfishing is uh, making a living from filming spearfishing is tough. I can tell you that right now. I mean, it's wonderful, but it's it's about a lifestyle and. I think there's a lot of us, there's a couple of us out there that have managed to have this wonderful lifestyle to be able to travel, to go on these wonderful trips and, you know, be good enough that people trust you and they'll pay you to go on the trip. But one of the biggest things that you need, and the, to be honest, you, the only way you're going to get people to take you on these trips is if they like you and you get on with them <laughs> and you're not a ego yeah. and you're not difficult and, you know, 
um, when you're in the water, uh, it's a very, you know, you, you can't, yes, they're paying you to, to film them spearfishing, but you've got to remember that the most important thing for that person is to get that once in a lifetime trophy fish. The filming of it, yeah. although you, in your mind, thinking this guy's paying me to, to film him, film this fish, so he should automatically do this and do this and stop here and do this, whatever. But your job is to be as um, invisible as possible and to capture him catching that fish. You know what I mean? Okay. And it's and yep, it's a yep. skill. It's it's patience. It's a thing. And just remember, like <laughs> anybody that's filmed people spearfishing, you know, you arrive on a trip and they. You know, I spear, the spearfish and they get froth, they froth at the mark. They get very, very worked up and they've spent a lot of money. And, you know, especially if you're on a trip where you say you're invited by the operator to come and film the trip and now he's got these guys and he'll say to the guys, okay, I'm going to get this guy to come along and film your trip, whatever. Now all he's worried about is shooting that massive dog tooth tuna. So the first opportunity gets on that big dog tooth tuna, you swim down and you're down there and you're behind him and you're filming and you're not moving and something happens and it fish spooks. I promise you it's your fault as the cameraman. It's always your fault. Yeah. If you hadn't oh, been that's there, rugged. whether it's your fault, and that's just something you're going to have to deal with. And and, and fortunately, uh, you can't take it personally. Uh, the next time that fish comes along and uh, he shoots the fish and you get the footage, you're going to be the hero afterwards and you would have forgotten about that. So <laughs> I think that's <laughs> that's one of the things. And, and just building building a relationship. Like I've, I've got, you know, I worked with the guys in Zanzibar for a long time and I've worked with them for seven, eight years, you know, and it's, there's, there's that dynamic between the operator and the customer and what you're doing in your role on the boat. And are you, is your, is your customer paying for you to be there? So the operator is happy to have you there. Are you, are you there to make the operator happy because he's getting Instagram pictures and posts and there's a lot of dynamic mm. that goes around to just filming. You know, there's a lot of personalities. There's a lot of uh, expectations. Um, and, you know, th- I think that's a skill that you need to develop. And, and ultimately you need to, when you're diving with someone for them to trust you, I know mm. I like to think, and I've, I've heard it from my clients and I, I like to think that, one of the reasons they become better divers and they can do things, whatever, is they know that I've got their back. You know, yes, I'm filming them, but I, I'm a I'm a competent diver that's always watching them all the time, and it makes them feel comfortable in the water. And that's a very big, big thing to being a cameraman. It's quite funny. You talk about, you know, there's certain cameramen that film certain divers, and it almost becomes like <laughs> that diver owns you. You are their cameraman. You know what I mean? And it's like hallowed <laughs> ground, you know, no other cameraman can come along and film that diver because that's his cameraman kind of thing. And it's quite a, mm-hmm. a funny thing. And, it, and it's, it's good. You know, it's a friendship and you travel, you spend a lot of time together and, you know, all those sort of skills are something that are as to be as big a part as being a competent cameraman is going on a trip with five or six people and not pissing off people you don't know, you know, <laughs> don't, don't be, and also then you also, now you're working with guards, you know, you know I've worked with some of the best guards in the world in different places and you've learned skills, but that guy doesn't want you chirping him all the time, telling him what he should do and what he shouldn't do. He's the hero here. You're just the cameraman. Keep quiet and do yeah. your thing. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah, those yeah. are all skills and it's tact and, you know, learning to. 
emotional and social intelligence. And social, yeah, social skills. And I like to think I'm, I like to think I'm fairly humorous and pretty laid back. So uh, uh, it comes quite naturally to me. But um, I definitely have had some situations where I need to shut up, and I talk a lot, so it's not always the easiest for me. No, I think you you definitely come across like that, Barrett. Um, like I, I remember going to do the research for this interview and looking all over Google for you. Normally Google's pretty good. And I mean, your body of work's been fairly prolific, so I thought it'd be an easy exercise, but you've you've remarkably uh, stayed in the background quite well, I must say. So um, it, it's, it's, it's a funny thing where you, I don't know, sometimes you, you, know, you, you minimise yourself so that everyone else can have a good time. So I get it, and it's playing that balance. So um, have, you, have you made any... Any, uh, I mean, obviously you've made errors, but have you any? Have you made um, some some faux pas with, uh, you know, with guides in the past? I think, I think in general, in general, I get on well with all the guides. I mean, a lot of the guides. I mean, I'd like to say one thing. Like people often go, like you know, they want to go on spearfishing trips, but they want to save money. They want to think, is a guide, you know, is it worth paying a guide to come on a spearfishing trip? And I tell you it's the best thing you can do a, a good mm. spearfishing guide will save you so much time so much effort they'll put you in the right place they are worth every cent that um mm. you know you have to pay for them and saying that yeah. you know there are guides and there are guides like you know a professional guide is someone that your soul his sole purpose is to put you in fish okay he is a spearfishing guide mm. he is not a spearfisherman you know what I mean? On your trips. Hmm. He's a guy that wants you to be the hero and he's not trying to show everybody how wonderful he is. He's, you know, he's purely there to, to put you into the fish and, and, and let you be the hero on the trip. And that's, and that's important. Um, I'm lucky enough to work with some of the, some of the best guides in the, in the world. And yes, um, I'm fairly opinionated on some things when I believe in something and, <laughs> you know, I don't always agree with some of the people I work with, but it's, it's balance and it's being a grown up and it's, you know, being able to solve these problems and get by and, and not ruin a trip. And it's difficult enough, you know, when you, you know, I did my yacht master course quite a few years ago and I remember it was a whole month course sailing and I had a people. And the first thing the guy said to me, it's like when you go on a sailing trip, you know, you, when you pick a crew, make sure it's you pick a crew that get on with each other, the skill and all the yeah, other stuff. Yeah. Go. And it works the same in spearfishing. You go out on a seven, eight, ten day liveaboard trip. Your guys have spent a lot of money. They're very anxious. They want to get this trip. It's a lifetime. You know, they just spent their, mm. their kids' uh, university fee on this trip and their wife's giving <laughs> them grief. And you get on board and you're in, you know, in a confined space. Things aren't going well. The weather's bad. You know, you need to, you need to tone it down because you can quite quickly get into confrontation. But, it, you know, it's just life skills, you know, getting, being able to get on with everyone and, you know, get past that and be honest and just, you know, work through it. And, yeah. you know, I like don't it. be an ego. Um, I, think, I think the biggest thing is don't be an ego. If you want to be, you want a longevity in this game and you want people to get on and you want to think, just leave your ego at home because it's, you know, your client is the most important thing, not you. So staying in your lane is definitely a big part of it. What about, um, so um, skill set number seven here, you sort of, you had ultimate goals and longevity. So you know, a lot of a lot of people don't seem to be able to think too far forward. Um, 
and and I've been guilty of it. Um, I think I'm slowly getting better at it as I get a bit older as well. But um, setting goals and and sort of planning your future. I mean, it sounds like becoming a spearfishing cinematographer is is a long journey. Um, so speak speak into that a little bit. I think it is, and you know, right from the right from the outset, I just wanted to produce. A, a really, I just wanted to produce really good spearfishing content all around, good production value, interesting, uh, fun. And I also wanted to, you know, make a living, um, somehow through doing what I love. So I'm a firm believer mm-hmm. of you're not, you're not happy, um, doing what you are doing. You should change it, you know, and, you know, it's been a consistent over all these years. The spearfishing and filming spearfishing had always been a love and a passion. And the big trick was obviously to work out how to turn it into a living or how to somehow benefit from it. And my ultimate goal has always been to make good content, spearfishing content. I've been filming for seven years. Um, I've realized along the way that um, just filming spearfishing and traveling and being a guide is quite a tough way to live, especially when you start bringing family into it and you want to raise kids and you need to be away for time and that sort of thing. But where the spearfishing has led, uh, led me is to, I've got a wonderful lifestyle now. You know, people, th- I, I've moved to Qatar. I've got a wonderful job at a very, very good sports channel. And it's, it's now, given me the opportunity to actually sit back and now go through all this footage and create the series that I've always wanted to do. I got to a stage where I'd been filming so much. I got to the stage where I was like, I don't think I I can film anymore. It was like, it was just footage (laughs) becoming footage on a hard drive and not actually achieving a final goal. So I've actually stepped away from the actual diving side at the moment. Um, I've moved to Qatar. I've got a good job. I still enjoy what I'm doing. I'm flying the drone. And, but now my love for spearfishing is going into the editing side of it. And, you know, I dive here locally. There's nice spearfishing. I go out, get fish. I'm going back to this, the enjoyment side of spearfishing where I just going diving with mates and getting some dinner. And, you know, that, so that's bringing me that joy. I've moved away from yeah, the stress. Nice. I'm always worrying where my next trip is and how I'm going to pay the bills. I've, I've got a bit of a comfort zone. And I think that's put me in a unique situation where now I can create content where I'm not, I'm not taking away from what I'm wanting to do because I have to please sponsors or I have to do it in a certain way. I can do it the way I want to do it and I use the content and, and, you know, I'm putting it up on YouTube for, for free, you know, all this wonderful. Mm. Yeah. I'm not saying I wouldn't like someone to come along and say, Hey, we'll actually pay you for some of that. But right now <laughs> I'm in a comfortable zone, a good place. And, and that's only come with years of, of learning the trade, getting the footage. And, you know, they say, am I making a living from spearfishing? I'm not doing as many trips as such, but the lifestyle that I'm now living in a place at all, I all got to this point. I, sorry. I came to this point. Mm. Because of spearfishing, the friends I made, the the, mm. the avenues I took, the skills that I developed, you know, through that yeah. journey, and that that's what's got me to this place. So, what I'm saying is, know what you want from it. You know, yeah. if you want to become a professional uh, spearfishing cinematographer, it's gonna take you time to to make a living from it. I can tell you that right now. And I would not go into it for the money. I would definitely go into it for the lifestyle. And be realistic about, you know, there's going to come a time in your life where it's not going to be suitable for you to be away or do this or, or the other option is find someone who understands your, 
your addiction, understands <laughs> why you're doing it and, and have the same love for it. And if you can get them to do it with you, uh, that's first prize, you know, that's first prize. You look at yeah, guys nice. like uh, Ryan Myers, um, <laughs> he's got his lady in tow there filming him doing his thing, and that's that's good. You can, you can <laughs> do it together. My wife, um, I've taught her how to edit, and she does a lot of editing of spearfishing videos for people now, and she quite enjoys it. So oh, cool. she understands the 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 – the passion and the life, but yeah, just know what you want and, and just stick to it. It's, it doesn't happen overnight. It's tough. And people, mm. people at the beginning told me, my family, my whatever, that there's no way you're ever going to make a living from filming spearfishing. And I've proved them wrong. Yeah. Nice. That's got to be a little bit satisfying. Um, passion and belief, you've sort of covered it off. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit just briefly about uh, personal integrity, uh, maintaining that throughout this entire process because sometimes people that are ambitious, they have big dreams and ideas, sometimes they, they lose their integrity along the way sometimes and uh, I don't think you've done that at all and I'd be interested in sort of just uh, pulling back the curtain a little bit and having a look at sort of what what's allowed you to do that. Well, thanks, yes. Um, yeah, I just... Um, just being true, I think. I mean, obviously, along the way, you get yourselves into situations where, you know, sometimes you're like, you know, I haven't got money to pay bills at the end of the month, and I can, you know, mm. but you have to just, <laughs> just. Tr I mean, it's not always easy, you know. It's a hus uh, you know, it's it, it's an industry that's only got so much market and stuff, and you know, you can do certain mm. things along the way and you can hustle and you can overcharge or you can do this or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's a small industry as well. You've got to keep your integrity. You've got to keep it together because, you know, it doesn't take um, people talk and it, you know, if you're not doing the right thing, it'll very quickly come back and it will get in your way and it'll start for you'll, you know, stop your way forward. So, yeah, but yeah, it's nice. just, I think it's just an upbringing um, personal thing just you know st stick to your beliefs you know i don't i'm quite opinionated in some times and some things but i like to think i'm consistent and uh <laughs> stand up for what you believe in and uh, don't give in and and uh, my biggest thing in life be the first person when you're wrong to to just admit it and you know and yeah. you know, ego once again egos you know people get all worked up and i mean the spearfishing world has lots of personalities and whatever and some guys will never talk to each other and don't know this but it's it's all about just um ego get that out the way and you should be okay spearing magazine possibly the world's best spearfishing publication it's a spearing mag for spearos by spearos part of the reason i like spearing magazine so much is because there's crazy stories from Spiros just like you from all around the world. And it's what makes Spearing Magazine such a special publication. If you go to spearingmagazine.com, check out the article submissions page. There's a full guide to how to submit an article. But I would encourage you to do so because I want to read about your adventures and inspire everyone else to take on their next spearfishing adventure. That's at spearingmagazine.com. Funniest thing, like... Um What's one of the funniest, or you, you can tell a couple of stories if you like, but what are some of the funniest things that have happened to you at spearfishing? Well, you know, sometimes it's uh, good to have a laugh. I mean, I've had some pretty fun moments. One that really stands out, I was um, I was in Ascension Island, and um, I was there with um, Dr. Jamal, 
and he can mm. be quite a serious chap at times. You know, he takes it very. He's a he is very light-hearted or whatever. But when it comes to spear fishing and you know shooting fish right, he can get you know he can get quite worked up. And I remember we were obviously hunting for yellowfin tuna and whatever, and we've been chumming and whatever. And Colin was Colin Chester, who ran this, who ran Ascension Island Fishing Charters, was sitting on the boat next to us where we were drifting or whatever. And you know we it's been quite a long time, and we. You know, uh, I think Jamal had uh, struck, missed one or two fish and he got quite upset. And we were um, we were down there and we dived down and this beautiful wahoo came in and thing, he lined it up. And he just did the most terrible shot. Like, <laughs> it just completely missed it, you know. And yeah. obviously, we, you know, he got quite upset. We swim up to the surface. And, you know, in that moment, you just look at each other. And Colin was next <laughs> to us and I just went... What the hell was that crap? You know, like and it was just that moment where we all just packed up laughing and like Colin's like, geez, how are you talking to a client like that? And it went from a tense moment to like a like a obviously I knew Jamal well enough not to think, but it was just quite it was it was hilarious. Yeah. And then I did have another incident also in, in the French Polynesia where I actually got bitten in the ass by a shark. <laughs> which was, you didn't think it was funny, uh, but the funniest thing was me crapping out the two divers in the water that both had GoPros on their heads for not recording it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, I oh, needed my, my group of video had, um, had, you know, reached its four or five year period and people to watch it. I needed something new. And here came the perfect opportunity <laughs> where shark grabbed me on the ass and no one got it on film. So that was quite a chuckle. Uh, and it was also, we'd done a, We'd done like a, a seven day, six, seven day trip and the, the, the Wahoo just hadn't showed up. And it was the last day, it was the last day of the, um, the trip. It was the afternoon and the big shoals of Wahoo finally came in and, um, a client, um, shot a fish. Uh, he had dropped one or two Wahoo. Another nice one came in and he, 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 he had a throw flasher, so he threw the flasher and it's, you know, obviously the wahoo came and he shot the fish and I thought it was a solid shot. Um, it had raced off with, uh, obviously, no, he didn't shoot it that well and it raced off with all the sharks, you know, following and I was kind of like, well, that's it. That fish is, is gone. And I saw his throw flasher sinking down. So I swam down quite quickly because it was quite deep. It was probably like 15 meters to go and get it for him. Mm. And as I swam down, on the way down, I didn't realize that the, the wahoo had come off the spear and then turned around the injured fish and swam back towards us to come and hide behind us with all the sharks. So obviously it swam over my head with all the sharks following it as I was swimming down. And I swam down quite quickly. And as I grabbed the flash, I turned. And obviously the sharks from underneath saw the commotion and one rushed up and grabbed me in the ass. Luckily it put, uh, it, Luckily, it grabbed my weight belt, so the the weights, the big weights, were actually in its mouth and stopped it from actually sinking its teeth in and tearing a piece away. Oh, you know, Jesus. ripped my suit, and I mean, it shook me a little bit. I turned around, another two or three came at me. I smacked them off with the camera. But the funny thing was, getting back on the boat, uh, mm. we all swam to the boat, and there was this moment of real seriousness. Everyone was like, I was obviously bleeding, and it's like how serious. And I and I looked at my client, and I could just see the look on his eyes, like. Uh, this is the last afternoon. The fish have just, you know, rocked up. Uh, uh, do we have to go back, back, in the water? back to shore? <laughs> and I remember looking at him and turning around and, and looking at the other guy who was, uh, you know, having a look at my bleeding ass. And I was like, how bad is it? He goes, it's not bleeding too much. He says, but it's not. I was like, I was like, 
come, let's get back in. And we jumped back in the water. And that moment, I said, come, let's get back in. You know, the look on the guy's face was just like, oh, my God, okay. You know, that moment, it was, it was, that was a funny moment, you know, kind of like, never mind, let's get back in. We'll be fine. We'll live. He was you know? singing, yes. Yes. yes, I picked the right cinematographer. <laughs> exactly, <yeah. laughs> uh, that's awesome, man. Okay, um, let's move on. Um, oh, by the way, I think it's a it's a real mark of someone that you go diving with when they make a mistake and they can laugh at themselves. Yeah, it's a it's a you, you know you're going to have a bloody good time with them. I think that's kind of like a mandatory character trait in a good spirit. I reckon. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. Um, in your dive bag, what's in your dive bag? Um, Big, big question. You, you've probably got five dive bags. So what are you diving with locally there in Doha? So um, obviously there's some very good uh, spearfishing here. It's not always the cleanest, but um, I have some good friends. There's a lot of fish here. The actual number of fish here is quite unique. The, the big one is uh, the chanad or the king mackerel in around about March, April, May. They come in in massive schools and big fish up to 30 kilos. Hmm. So the water at that time of the year can go up to 30 degrees, 33 degrees, 31 degrees. Oh, wow. Um, at the, so it's just lacra and it's very, very hot. But at the moment, it's winter here and the water is, you know, anything from 18 degrees to 22 degrees. So at the moment, it's winter and I'm diving with a um, five mil. I have two Chiclay five mils, one Rob Allen and one XT. Um, okay. In the fin department, um, I am using Rob Allen's new carbon fins, which are unbelievable. Oh. I've dived with some of the best, dived with some of the best carbon fins out there, uh, and mm. um, you know they've put a lot of work in. They're making the carbon fins themselves now, and I, you know, I re- really, really like them. So that's on the fin side. The guns I'm using Rob Allen, just simple one one. I've got a one one roller and a ninety roller. Yep. And those are the two guns that I'm using here. And yeah, that's good. Yeah. Nice. Cool. All right, last section of the show. Well, I've had a bloody good time. Spiro Q&A, sort of like a, a faster paced round of questions. Um, we'll start off with a deep and meaningful if you want it to be. Um, sure. Could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence? Lifestyle. Oh, one word. Jeepers. Lifestyle. I'd still <laughs> say lifestyle. One word. Most people can't get it done in three sentences. You've done well, one word. Um, what's the single best piece of advice you've ever been given for spearfishing? Um, best piece of advice. Don't chase the wahoo. <laughs> okay, nice. <laughs> um, what, what current challenges do you face in your spearing and um, how are you approaching them? Uh, having enough time to go spearfishing. I've now joined the <laughs> rank of people with a proper job and leave and time. So, yes, yeah. I'm now with all of you guys. Time to go spearfishing. So, Noob Spiro has got a guide to chucking an artful sicky, which is a, it's an Australian tradition, and Turbo actually wrote it. It's friggin' genius. But um, for anyone that's got a job, um, it's, it's the way to chuck an artful sicky. So, I'd highly recommend that. I'll link it up. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> uh, last question. Who's the best person to go spearfishing with at the moment and why? Sure. Um, oh, am I going to get you in trouble here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, okay, to the political answer, it depends where you're diving. <laughs> <laughs> um, Just your local stuff. Who do you like to go with? Oh, you've got a few. Yeah, I mean, 
luckily, who will take me here in Qatar? Then I've got a couple of mates that I go diving with. So the best person to go diving with, whoever phones me up and takes me diving. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good uh, way to finish the interview. Um, I've had an absolute ball, Barrett. Um, can people come and check out your stuff? Obviously, we've talked about your YouTube channel, African Spearfishing Diaries. Are you on social media? Yes, yeah, so also obviously on Instagram. Um, African Spearfishing mm-hmm. Diaries on Instagram, the YouTube channel African Spearfishing Diaries. I do have a drone Instagram channel as well called African Drone Diaries. So there's some nice stuff on there. And yeah, mm. just um, listen, anybody that wants to get into this and wants some help, please feel free to contact me. I'm always here to help. Um, I'll tell you everything I know. Ah, awesome, man. Um, Jeepers, there was a ton. There was a ton of good stuff in today's interview. You, you, um, you were an absolute pleasure to have on the show, and um, we'll have to hook up and do something again in the future. I'm sure, Barrett. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And uh, please um, come and uh, come and visit us. Come, come spearfishing. Come to South Africa. Come to Qatar anytime. I'll, I'll take you up on that. I hope you mean it. I do. I do. <laughs> All right. Cool. Done. I'm in. <laughs> Great. Um, and thanks very much. It's been awesome. And uh, keep up the good work. Uh, you guys are, you know, you've brought um, something unique to spearfishing. Uh, we all add our part and add to the joy of this wonderful sport. And uh, thanks. Thanks a lot. Ah, cool. Thanks, Barrett. Some of these episodes are just off the wall, off the chain, insane. Uh, really, really enjoyed chatting with Barrett. Uh, it was a phenomenal um, chat just to be able to talk with a guy. And it's really cool being able to share um, these interviews with you. I wanted to thank you for listening. And uh, if you're super keen on the Noob Spiro podcast, you'd love it. Love it if you came along to patreon.com forward slash Noob Support the podcast on an episode by episode basis. But I uh, hope you got some massive takeaways out of today's um, interview. It doesn't sound like it's easy to make a living uh, being a spearfishing cinematographer, but some huge lessons and wisdom in there from Barrett. And uh, really appreciated him being quite thoughtful with the way he sort of put that together because I know it's um, a lot of maybe a, a lot of people think about doing something like this so it was really cool to chat about that with him today and uh, check out his YouTube channel African Spearfishing Diaries uh, make some bloody cool videos so yeah hey two weeks I'm off to interview Ed Martin and it's a DIY wooden spear gun we get super granular I'll be honest with you um it's, it's, it's lost in the weeds, but there's a lot of good discussion here about spear guns in general, um, thinking about spear guns, thinking about the way they're put together. Even if you're not interested in making one yourself, you, if, you, if you like spearfishing, then you use a spear gun. So there's a lot of just stuff to think about with spear guns in general. And uh, so it's a cool interview. Ed Martin from Killshot Spear Guns, also now a sponsor on the show. You can use the code NOOB to save a bit of money over at killshotspearguns.com. These guns are phenomenal. I'm really looking forward to bringing that episode to you. Thanks for listening today. And uh, just a last word, Impact Podcasting. Pat Dwyer has been uh, producing the show for 100 episodes. He's very much a behind-the-scenes guy. Uh, next episode is the last ever podcast episode produced by Pat. Uh, he's been planning his exit for uh, a little while just due to work commitments and being employed by possibly the best uh, media company in Brisbane. So it'll be a shame to see him go. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having him, um, you know, part of the team with the Noob Spiro. So give it up for Pat next episode it's his last edit and thanks for listening guys leave a review if you uh, loved it catch ya is it time for an upgrade I'm nodding you can't see it but I'm nodding 
because I'm thinking to myself, it's always time for an upgrade. Head over to spearfishing.com.au. One way I like to upgrade is by shopping bargains, end of line stuff. Sometimes there's always magic little finds to be had. Adreno used to have a, an email newsletter called Tight Ass Tuesday. Unfortunately, it no longer exists, although there is a clearance tab at spearfishing.com.au where a lot of the end of line stuff comes up, the bargains, it's the bargain bin, that's me. I'm, I'm not proud of myself. But that's how I shop sometimes. And look, you can save another $20 on everything over 200 when you use the code NoobSpiro. Head over to spearfishing.com.au. You'll thank me later.